2 uh, Corinthians in chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to be uh, here this evening. This is going to be part 1 of 2, part 1 of 2. We're going to cover one point tonight, and unless I add more uh, to the message, to the sermon, uh, over the next week or so, we're looking at just two, uh, two points, uh, or two uh, sessions uh, for this particular message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and consequently, this was not on purpose, um, but, uh, but in my journaling this morning, I actually chose, um, I chose uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 4 uh, to be, sorry, 10, um, yeah, 10, 4 to be my daily verse today. And it wasn't intentional, um, and, 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 and to preach from it tonight, it just so happens to be uh, the way it is. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, the Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, uh, Wait a second. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I have my Bible open there. To, um, yeah. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in a presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, that, um, present with you, that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is Fulfill. We do see a conditional statement there um, on the back end, on the back end of the statement and the verses, and we'll be looking to those here as we move on and move forward here tonight. But when we look here, when Paul's writing this letter, Paul mentions about being bold, yet he proclaims that he is base, and uh, so he's entreating the Corinthians uh, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And I think it's important for us to look at that. Because, again, Paul's attributes and his characteristics and, and really and truly even uh, the, the admirations we have for the Apostle Paul, he never takes credit for himself. Now, this guy had all the accolades in the world. He had all the, I mean, if anybody could, could have said, hey, look at me, this is what I can do, and I'm this qualified and I'm that qualified, the Apostle Paul could have done that, but he didn't do that. He said that he was base, but he says, I'm writing to you, myself, I'm writing you this letter, but I'm writing you, I beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And it's very important. So he mentions the word confidence in verse 2. Read that with me again. He says, but I beseech you, that I may not be bold when I am present with you, that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. Now, there's a reason why he's writing all this. We're going to get into it here in just a moment. But the topic that I want to speak to you tonight and, and then uh, in the following week, that, that topic is, is, is simply that word confidence. I want to talk about confidence. And I want us to look as Paul's writing uh, really and truly in a defensive manner when we get into chapter 10 in his second letter. He is writing this from a personal standpoint. We'll see why here in just a moment. 
The context of this section in 2 Corinthians, uh, it's very serious, guys. It's a very, very serious notion. Paul is now writing in the singular form as we find the phrase we change to I, okay? Notice there again in verse 1. Now, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with uh, with confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some. So we notice here, as many times in Paul's writings, he's typically writing we, 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 we. He's always including, you know, some of the other fellow laborers that's with him. But now it's a, from a personal, a personal standpoint. And there's a re- again, there's a reason why he changes we to I, and it signifies a highly personal nature of the topic. He's removing Timothy from the content as well. Uh, it's, it's a very forceful phase within the letter. And that's important for us to understand that this epistle is written, this second epistle is written uh, to Corinth. We, we already know the, why the first one was written. Now we know the second one in, in, in the way that it is written. We understand all of these things. <coughs> Paul's now making it very serious. And he's making it very personal. He's going to deal with his critics. And so, beloved, the reason I want to bring this to you tonight is that you are all going to have critics in your life, okay? There's going to be someone or many people that are going to criticize you. So he's dealing with his critics, both with false teachers who have crept into the church as well as their followers. Now, Paul warned them, you know, beware, be careful, watch out. There are going to be wolves that come in. What we have to watch out of in church, churches, and it... Paul said it's not going to come from without. He said it's going to come from within. You know, and one of the things that happens within local churches that become the most damaging are the little whisperers, the little talkers, the little say, the little whisper in the ear, the little tearing down, be it of the preacher, the man of God, the church, the position of what's being done and how things are handled. Guys, those things are dealt with harshly in Scripture. You know, before I ever open my mouth about another pastor, I'm very careful to read 1 Timothy chapter 5, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'll answer that for you real quick like in a hurry. You better be careful, guys, you know? Be very careful when it comes to those. Now, again, when I say that, I mean, and I'm also talking about a true and faithful pastor, a man of God who's following the Word of God, not their opinion or some false heretic doctrine. We've already covered false apostates among us and all this and that. We've covered that. But Paul, again, get back to where we are. Paul's going to deal with his critics. He's going to deal with the false teachers who's crept into the church. He's also going to deal with their followers. And, and these, these will be those who he, he had not exercised. Uh, they did not exercise in the revival of repentance that was mentioned in 2 Corinthians 7. All right. Verses 2 through 6, Paul references this act of repentance, this revival that broke out in Corinth, how some had been so wrong and they had lived in, in such a sinful nature, but yet they had repented and they got part of the revival and, and now they're saved and they're born again and they're part of, uh, of this wonderful church. This group that he's getting ready to deal with, they wasn't part of that. They were not part of that. So we're finding a, a confrontation here, uh, a well-deserved confrontation. And the reason I, I believe it's important for us to understand this, I personally don't like confrontation, if you want to know the truth. My physical nature can be drawn to it. My carnal side can be drawn to it. Uh, it's a side of me that, that would just fight at a drop of a hat. You know what I'm saying? 
So I, in, in times past, I've swung the pendulum so far over here that I allowed myself to become a doormat, and I've grown past that, okay? I'm not going to let the local church become a door. I will kick you out of this church so quick and so fast. If you try to hurt this church, it'll make your head spin. I'll go ahead and tell you that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I will not, I don't care who you are, how much you give or what you do, you are gone, all right? We've sent people, other people out of this church um, for the very same reason. You try to harm this church, you're gone, man, amen, from biblical standards. That's my duty and my job as the pastor of this church, amen, is to protect and feed the flock of God. That's what a man of God will do. So I, that I, number one, will do in a heartbeat. I'm not afraid of that kind of confrontation. I'm not afraid of confrontation when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. I'm not. If you want to attack me personally, okie dokie, fine. If that makes you feel better, crack on with your little self. That's fine. You attack my family, gloves are off. Okay? Those are the things that are personal. And Paul's the same way. Guy had to talk about me. He goes, I don't care. Water off a duck's back. He goes, I don't care if you compliment me or you criticize me. He goes, it ain't no great thing to me, you know. But you start messing with the church. Paul says, we're going to deal with this, and we're going to deal with this one headlong. And we see some of the accusation here that Paul addresses. And again, we're coming back to that word confidence, because in the root of all of this, where is your confidence tonight? Where is your confidence in this world? Where is your confidence in your Christianity? That's what we need to address, and we need to understand. So we're finding a confrontation here, a well-deserved confrontation. And the church needed to make sure that the false teachers did not regain a foothold within the church. And they also needed the assurance that Paul was going to personally correct those who had not repented and who were stirring up the issues. And so you, what you have here is that you have a church that was dealing with some problems. They were dealing with some issues. But within those issues, they needed the assurance that the founder of the church, okay, the man who planted the church, man, he was going to deal with it. That he wasn't just going to turn a, a, a deaf ear and a blind eye. And many times people do that. There is temptation in doing that. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, even from somebody uh, such as myself, the temptation is, man, maybe they'll just go away. The temptation is, man, maybe, maybe they'll get right with God. You know what the reality of what I have found? They're not going to get right with God. They're, they're, they're nine times out of ten, those critics, who, they've been critics when they were lost, they're critics after they get saved. They were crabby when they, got, when they were lost. They're crabby when they, when they got saved. Listen, they were grumpy people when they was young, and they just got old and got grumpy, amen? Now that I'm old, I can say stuff like that. When I was young, I thought people, when they got old, they just got grumpy. I'm like, no, these people always been grumpy, amen? They've always been a stick in the mud. They've always been that. That's just been their nature. They just got gray hair now. And that's the reality of it is, guys. That is the reality. So the, the, the church needed to understand the, these, these false teachers, they cannot regain a foothold. Paul's going to do something about it. He, they needed the assurance that he was going to stand. Listen, he wrote that letter and rebuked the daylights out of them, the first letter we have. Now they are like, man, is he going to write a second letter and get rid of these people and answer their, their critics? And, and is he going to address these issues? How is he going to deal uh, with those who are attacking him and they were teaching false doctrine? They needed that assurance, guys. Put yourself in their shoes. Corinth is still a fresh new church. And again, guys, you got within this congregation... You have a mixed multitude of everybody under the sun. And I'm talking about every walk of life, every sin nature, every uh, uh, status. I mean, from the rich to the bottom and everybody in between. This, that's what the Corinth is made up of. So they got everything wrong. 
And Paul writes that first letter back and he, and he corrects them. And that's where we get a lot of our church doctrine, our local church doctrine, is where he had to rebuke them of what they were doing wrong, be it from the Lord's table, how to give to missions, how to do this, how to give on when to give, all of these different things. He's rebuking them, okay? How somebody was living in open sin, sin that wasn't even named amongst the Gentiles. He says, I deliver, with them, unto, deliver them unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 5, okay? By the time you get to 2 Corinthians, that young boy had repented, got his life right, and Paul had to go, hey, look, man, I'm telling you, let him back in now. I, I, I understand we did the right thing, and we, we kicked him out. We did all those things, but we did it for the purpose that he would repent. And now he's repented, so I'm telling you to, to open him back up. Love on him, okay? He made a mistake. He made a sin. This is what he's writing in this second letter. But in the second letter, if he's writing and he's only just about correction again, they needed assurance that these false teachers wasn't going to lock the church down. They needed assurance that what they were saying as Paul's critics, that he would have a confrontation to correct them. And that's what he's doing in this letter. So within our verses, guys, in context, it deals with the minister in warfare and his weapons. So Paul was accused of living by standards of the world. We see that in verses 1 and 2. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, that confidence, or with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. So there was an accusation to Paul that him and his followers were walking and living carnally, Okay. And he's going to address that. Paul fights the battles on this warfare, but he doesn't fight this battle in a worldly way, which is very impressive. It's very impressive. Verses 3 through 5, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Paul stands ready to deal with the rebels, if you will. But only after genuine believers are clear, clearly identified. Notice in verse 6, And having in readiness to revenge all dis, uh, disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul is ready to defend. Paul is ready to stand. He's ready to fight a spiritual battle that he needs to fight. But he was going to fight it with the ones who needed to be fought with. Make sure you're doing your job. Make sure you're obedient and your obedience is fulfilled. Then we're going to come back around. We're going to address these critics. So the confidence that Paul is referring to in verse 2 is pertaining to a confidence in self more than the Holy Spirit. Paul is not wanting to be confident in his ability. Whereas, again, I mentioned it earlier, he had plenty and he had every right in the world to stand confident in his own ability and do do that which he wanted to, when he wanted to, how he wanted to, and what he wanted to do. He had that ability, but he did not want to do that. And definitely didn't want to appear as if he was doing that. So he made it clear that there were some that he would be bold against. He is beseeching them. Beseech means to entreat, means to implore, means to invite, a desire, if you will. That's what that word beseech means. He's beseeching them in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Too often, guys, our world today uh, misinterprets meekness for weakness. 
Remember, Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Numbers chapter 12, 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men uh, which were upon uh, the, face of the face of the earth. He was meek, but he certainly was not weak, man. 120 years old to do what? Are you kidding me, man? I mean, 80 years old, leading them out, walking through the wilderness, dying at 120. My goodness, he was not a weak man by any, any uh, measure of imagination. And some people, I say too many, actually, they believe that one cannot be meek and bold simultaneously. Uh, however, you know, the context of the scripture begs to differ. We can be meek and we can be bold and even confrontational when needed to without being confident in the flesh. Okay? Understand that? Does that make sense to you tonight? So Paul makes it very clear. We will be bold against some. There are some that we're going to be bold against. These false teachers uh, accused Paul of walking in the flesh. Um, these were those the guys that, because of some secret reason, they had something against him. Uh, you know, it was personal for some reason, and uh, they made it personal against him. And I, I don't know what it is. I mean, they would say that he was trusted in his education. They would say that he's maybe he's uh, trusted in his former positions, his reputation. I would imagine they called him egotistical. They called him arrogant. Uh, some would probably say, and I do believe this to be true, just given the letters that we've read in the history, that he was probably domineering. He was overpowering, that he expected too much uh, from people. We know uh, that the false teachers accused him of not being a true apostle. Uh, they tarnished the church's reputation, taking money through a middleman. They, we know that to be true, okay? But I would imagine they, there were some that would leave and say, oh, man, he's just... He just expects too much for some, you know, from people. Oh, there's just no making him happy. Man, he's just, he's domineering. He's overpowering. He, you know, he's always, man, he's always wanting to work. He's always wanting to go. He's always wanting to do these things. You know what? There was never a break at all. He just expects too much. And, uh, and we know that is, uh, is true in Paul's life. That's Paul's nature. Okay? That's one of the reasons John Mark hightailed it off. You know, in Acts chapter 13, when, when the roles were reversed, and it wasn't Uncle Barnabas in charge anymore, but it was Paul who's casting blindness on people. Amen? Not turning the other cheek, as, as, as John Mark would have heard Jesus say, but now he's casting blindness on the people and all. Listen, he says, this, this is not from me. I'm going to go home to Mama. And then later on, we find, you know, Barnabas uh, overstepped his bounds. I'm not one of those guys that believe that, you know, that, that Barnabas was in the, in the right and, and Paul was in the wrong. Barnabas was in the wrong, 100%. You can feel different, but you can be wrong. Barnabas was in the wrong. Paul was the man of God. He was, the, he was the head of the ministry. Barnabas should have come to him and said, what do you think, or let's pray about taking John Mark. Do you think he's ready for the mission field? The proof is in the pudding. Barnabas disappears off the pages of church history, but John Mark doesn't. John Mark spends the next decade proving himself to be worthy of the apostle Paul, and we find out that he does. Paul says, for he's profitable unto me uh, for the ministry. As a matter of fact, Paul writes letters saying, you've received letters before, okay? I'm asking you now to receive him. It's to be understood that, that Paul would have written letters saying, listen, you've know, you, you got to be careful. Don't put too much responsibility on him. He left us high and dry on the mission field once before. You know, if you put too much on him, he's, he's going to break. And none of those things are false accusations or wrong. They're true, okay? They're true. There's a way when people would change memberships and go to another church in the States, there's a, there's a way to join another church if they're Baptistic in doctrine that you can join by way of letter. And typically what would happen 
would be that you know one they would they would let the one pastor know in the church, hey, we're going to leave, we're going to go to another church and bid your farewells, and they would go to that church, okay, and then that church would send a card or a letter, you know, little tick boxes, many a times, asking, hey, listen, are they members in good standing? Number one. You know, do they tithe appropriately? Do they give? Because, guys, understand this. If you don't tithe appropriately, you are outside of the will of God. Okay? That's just the way. Brother Danny Farley says, if you don't have a column, a tithe column, you're on your way out of the church, no matter how long you've been there. So that is something that you need. Tithing and giving. It's God's tithe and our offering. And if you're not doing it biblically, you're doing it wrong. Amen? That's just the way it is. And you're outside of the will of God, and you're not going to receive the blessings in God's life or in your life from the Lord. But having said that, there are these little letters. And the other pastor or the church secretary, whomever it will be, typically the pastor because he's privy to more than what, um, you know, the, 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 the church would be or the other people. And they would, they would, they would tick them off. Yeah, I remember in good standing. Hey, very faithful or this and that. Or, yeah, they attended Sunday morning. You never saw them after that. You know, not a negative statement and definitely not anything that's untrue. But you, here's what you don't. You're not going to put your signature on the dotted line, saying, yeah, man, they're, they're good people, they're faithful, or, you know, they give, they're prayer warriors, they're, they, they'll go out witnessing, and then they go to the other church, and they stir up a problem in, in the church, or they come there, and they're just, they're Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday morning onlys, and, you know, because that tarnishes your reputation, so you have to be honest, okay, and I think that's only fair, I think that's only fair, and, and that, that's what we're seeing here with what's going on in Paul's life. The accusations were made, uh, they, they, were being, they were challenging his position, challenging who was making up these false accusations, and you know what, he said, I'm going to answer them, you're going to have to fulfill your obedience as a church, and then I'm going to secure these false teachers and take care of them, but I'm not going to stand in my confidence. I'm not going to use words that are above their, you know, maybe their knowledge or their education to, you know, to make them look dumb, or he wasn't going to do that. He was just going to be honest and going to be true. So all of which, all of these accusations, um, they tie into the great accusation of walking according to the flesh, all right? And therefore, they would, they would ultimately accuse Paul of two major things. They would call him a coward. Verse 1, this is what's referred to, is, is what he's referring to as base, meaning a blow agree, saying that he was bold in his, uh, in his instructions uh, that he would rebuke the church when writing them, as in the first epistle, but that he was a coward when he was speaking face to face. That was their accusation, okay? Hey, man, he wrote this letter and rebuked the daylights out of everybody. Oh, but when he comes here, he's all nice, gentle, and kind. Well, let me ask you a question here on common sense-wise. If you received a letter from, say, your boss, okay, and, you know, said, hey, Davith, you know, X, Y, Z, this is what you haven't been doing. This is what I expect. This is how you correct it. Let's get it right. Let's get it done. D-D-D-D, signed off, Right? And then when you saw him, you know, the next week or something, he's like, hey, Dad, how you doing? Shaking hands. Good to see you, man. Is there any need for him to rehash that letter? No. The point has been made. He's, the corrections have been made. You see what I'm saying? Why, you know, why go back and say, hey, by the way, did you read? They all read that letter, man. They all knew what was going on. So I, from a common sense perspective, I think that accusation is answered. Again, we'll look at it in Paul's words here shortly. Number two, some would say Paul was carnal. Again, they were accusing him of walking in the flesh, uh, which in reality means several things. Uh, it could mean that he was unregenerate. They, they could be accusing him that he's not truly saved. All right? 
preaching and uh, preaching and ministering in the flesh, meaning that he wasn't really called of God. And that's a harsh accusation, man. All right, because no man knows any another man's calling. We can look at the evidence of certain men and and what they've done or said they were going to do and ended up not doing, and we can say, well, maybe they wrote. But we need to say maybe because we don't know a man or a woman's heart. Amen. We don't know it. But that accusation be made. Saying he's living in the flesh, meaning that he was ungodly, saying he's immoral, uh, only to please himself and live for himself. And then to minister in the flesh, meaning that he was only after personal following, personal gains, uh, seeking to sell his own ideas, his position, um, to line his pockets and secure his personal recognition. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing that they're making these accusations against this particular man, a man who, uh, you know, didn't ask for anything. You know, he, he was a tent maker. Paul, when, when able, he made his own, he made tents so he could supply his own money. How about that? Amen. The same one that said, muzzle not the, muzzle not the ox, which is the, the pastor. Don't, you know, don't strap him down to where he can't do his job as a minister. Going out there having to, uh, having to earn this and that, you know, in order to, uh, to make ends meet. Is the same man who was making tents at night, then writing letters, and then going ministering the day. My goodness, man. You know, what a man of God. So character assassinations are going to happen. And the whole reason, I know I've spent a long time in this introduction tonight, so maybe this will be a three-parter, who knows. But character assassinations are going to happen. They're, they happen to Paul, the greatest Christian ever walked the planet, and therefore they're going to happen to us. If you're doing something right for God, you're doing something uh, willfully uh, you know, in God's will, and you're seeking to, to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, Guys, they're going to happen in your life, and they're going to happen. may not happen now, may not happen next week, next month, next year, but somewhere along the line, they've either already happened or they're going to happen. There will be people in our life, for whatever reason, will simply not like you. They're the one like me, and maybe we don't know. Does this mean that we should roll over and take the abuse? No, it doesn't. What we do find, the Apostle Paul says, is that if it be possible as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, the key word there, he's not saying you have to live peaceably with every single one on the planet. It's not what he's saying. If it be possible. Now, that's not a, that's not a back door, a loophole of going, man, I ain't going to take anything from anyone. It's not that. There's a balance in all of these things. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it means that you just, you just know not to eat with certain people. If you know that people are handling a wrong you know a certain way or living a certain way they don't like you you don't have to be liked by everyone okay you gotta love them there, I, I can go there's plenty of people i don't like but i love them in christ i love them in a manner that i want them to receive the gospel there are believers there are born again believers in the world today that i personally don't care for that i'm not going to be uh, going to get a cup of coffee with them i don't want to sit down i'll trust i mean you know but I don't wish them any ill will. And if they went out into this world and erred from the truth, as we see in James chapter 5, it's my responsibility, whether I like them or not, still my responsibility to go try to bring them back. Make sense? Amen. That's his life in you. So we need to do all that we can do to live peaceably with everyone. However, guys, you know, sometimes people are not going to allow that to happen. And for those people, guys, we should answer them with meekness and with the gentleness of Christ. Okay? Show ourselves friendly. There'll come a time where you'll either have to remove yourself from problematic people. We've done that here before, uh, you know, and there's going to come a time when you need to be bold against some. Paul says, I'm going to be bold against some, just hands down. 
Uh, and you need to do so to protect the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to note today that Paul's answer to the church and his answer to the critic was, was of tenderness in the midst of a grave warning. I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Okay? There is the grace. There is the gentleness. But there is a grave warning that comes with this. And, beloved, Christ was meek. Jesus Christ was meek. Remember, I, I, we taught here uh, several weeks back um, that there's one verse in the Bible, you know, where the Lord pulls back the, the, the curtain of his heart. And he says, you know, take my yoke upon you. He says, for my yoke is easy. And that word easy is also translated into the word kind. His yoke, his heart is centered around kindness. Okay. So even when you deal with your critics, there is a nature that we deal with, that we implore, that we beseech in the gentleness and the meekness of Jesus Christ. So Christ was meek. He was gentle. In handling the insults, he was meek and gentle in handling the attacks, the rumors, the lies, the wrong and the evil done to him. And this was the reason Paul's gentleness in dealing with the people of the church and confronting them face to face, because Jesus Christ did that. Now, how did Jesus deal with the religious? You may be, and I may get some grief over this, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not, I don't worry about grief, okay? Um, if, 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 if people out there online, if their opinion mattered to me, I wouldn't preach the way I do. All right. It doesn't matter to me as long as I preach truth. Okay. If God says it, it's true. When Paul deals with lost, unregenerated people, same with the Lord Jesus Christ. He dealt with them with gentleness and with kindness. When it was the religious, and I'm talking about, I understand the religious, they're unregenerated. They're lost, they're pagans, but when it's the religious that brought forth their attacks, Jesus Christ and Paul, he said, I'll be bold with some. When it came to the religious aspect, he was bold. What did Jesus Christ say? Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees. Now, what is a scribe? A scribe is an individual who wrote the word of God. They copied, they were copyists, if you will. All right, that's what they did. And they also were recorders of speeches and like someone doing the minutes of a meeting. Now, a scribe did that as well. But a Pharisee, okay, we use this phrase pharisaical attitude, and that's really a quite a, mo a, a modern uh, term. Pharisee is not necessarily a bad person. A Pharisee was a religious position, okay? That's what that is. You had Pharisees, you had the Sad these are religious positions, Pharisees and Sadducees, all right? Paul was the son of a Pharisee. He wasn't saying his dad was X, Y, and Z, you know, was a terrible person. Paul was the Pharisees of Pharisees, meaning he was an expert, perfect on the law. Paul said he was blameless. What that means is according to the law of God, he had every I dotted, every T crossed, nothing missed, and he still didn't have Christ, okay? Now, having said that, Jesus Christ, when he dealt with the Pharisees, because of their actions and their attitudes, what did he call them? Hypocrites. Pastor Ellis used to love to preach that verse. I can hear his voice even right now. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. That's exactly how he would say it. 
because that's how Jesus Christ, he called them hypocrites. Hypocrites wasn't a third classification of people. He's calling the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites. And beloved, the word hypocrite is a very demeaning phrase. It literally means a play actor, a pretender, a, a liar is what it means. One who's living an outright lie in their life. And what's interesting is that of the 20 times hypocrites, and it's, and it's plural as a blanket statement, occurs in the Bible, all but three times are in the New Testament and are spoken by Jesus Christ in his addresses. Now, Jesus, now again, Paul says, I beseech you, all right, I implore you, you know, I'm, I'm coming to you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And Jesus Christ said he, he was meek. And Jesus Christ lived meek. And he lived kind. He lived loving. All right? But yet he's rebuking these Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. He didn't have a problem being bold against some. And neither should we. As long as our confidence is resting in the meekness and the gentleness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Make sense tonight? Cool. So Paul many times used his boldness against those who oppress the righteousness of God and the word of God. He, he called the high priest, thou whited wall. Y'all remember that? When he, when, they, when he was arrested and that high priest said, slap him. And, he, and the guy reached over and slapped Paul and he says, thou whited wall. And he just rebuked him. And he says, you know, thou commandest me, you know, I'm, I'm uncondemned. And thou commandest someone to smite me, which is against the law. And they knew then, whoa, this boy's an expert on the law. Do you know what that means, whited wall? Do you know why he, what he called that guy? He called him a sepulcher. You old tomb. <laughs> you old crip. That's what he's calling him. He's saying, you know what? You're looking clean and nice on the outside, but inside of you is dead men's bones. You got blood on your hands. You're dead in your spirit. That's what he called him. Amen? He cast blindness upon, upon Bar Jesus in Acts 13. We've already talked about that. You know? He did that so Bar-Jesus, or Elymas, uh, could experience in the flesh the deception that he held the city and the people there in the spirit. He rebuked Peter to the face. When Peter came down, him and Barnabas both came down, and they wouldn't. They refused to eat with the Gentiles who were saved and born again. Paul stood up and said, no, sir, buddy. Rebuked him to the core. And then says, we're going to James. We're going to have a council meeting over this. Acts 15 rolled around. And then it was Peter who said, hang on a second. I remember now way back when, when Paul was down in Tarsus, Tarsus losing everything and being beaten three times. I remember that the Lord visited me, remember, with the, the winning of, uh, of Cornelius to the Lord. And, and you, know, you know, the Lord tells Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common. What I've called, what I've cleaned, call thou not common. The Lord said three times it took for old Peter. And he still went down there and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles who were saved. And Paul rebuked him to the face about it. Why is Paul rebuking him? Was it a personal attack against Paul? No. It was a personal attack against the liberty that Jesus Christ has given us. It was a personal attack against the word of God. It was a personal attack against God's righteousness. Therefore, Paul rebuked him. Same thing with the high priest as well as Bar-Jesus. Many other times, Paul was bold against some. But with all this said, Paul's boldness... Paul's boldness uh, was not where his confidence rests. And guys, I'm looking at the time. I'm going to end it. We're just going to do an introduction tonight. We'll do the three points over the next couple of weeks. But his boldness was not where his confidence rests. As a matter of fact, 
if it, if, if it was, he would have been guilty of the very thing that they accused him of walking in the flesh, right? You know, I mean, there are men who are quick with words. They can speak, you know, they got a silver tongue. You know, they can get up and they can say this, say that. They can quote this, quote that. They can have the joke here. They can all, all these things, man. I, I, got, I got friends of mine who have more talent in speaking and singing than I'll ever have in my life. And I've watched them get up in pulpits, and I've watched them be magi- uh, magicians in the pulpit, if you will. And the people having a good time, but at, at the end of the night, I've noticed there was no sustenance in that. That was just entertainment. That's walking in the flesh. So if Paul would have been bold in his, if his confidence was in his flesh, if his boldness was, um, or his confidence was in his boldness, he would have been guilty of the very accusation that was being made against him so what i want to leave you with tonight and we'll close on this thought where is our confidence is it in our boldness i mean before we end the whole thing let me ask you this where's our boldness tonight when's the last time you stood up for something that was right when something wrong was being done I think we can all admit that it's been proven that we have a society, we have a population that will roll over just like that, just like a dog. Go do what? Okay, I'll do it. Stop doing this? Okay, I'll do it. Pay how much? I'll pay it. There comes a time, guys, when believers, you got to stand up for what's right. I know all the conspiracy stuff that's going gone around. I know all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you this. I do think it was proven three years ago that we don't have a backbone in our society. We do not have a backbone. And we're, we will let... We, I mean, I, for myself, I know where I stood. And I knew what I was going to do and what I wasn't going to do. Hands down. If I got to stand alone, I'll stand alone. And I'm still standing on those same principles today that I was standing on in March 2020. But what I am going to tell you is that we have to have a backbone and to stand up for what is right. I believe it was a test in 2020. We'll see what's around the corner. We'll see what's going to happen next. And you know what we're going to see? We're going to see what you're going to do about it. Let's see where your confidence stands in our life. So where is our boldness, guys? Where is our confidence? Is it in our boldness? Is it being brazen? Is our confidence in being brash and loud or maybe brutal? Is, is it in any of those things? Because if it's in any of those things today, it's not in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You can still be bold and be meek at the same time. I was never arrogant when we, we've taken our stands. I was never harsh. I wasn't brutal. I wasn't I didn't lash out. This is where I am. This is where I'm staying. And that was it. That's being bold and still being meek and have the gentleness of Jesus Christ in your life. Why? Because, guys, if your boldness, if your confidence is in your boldness, if your confidence is in your, your brazenness, your brashness, or even your, your brutality, whether it be words or actions, you're losing the battle. Because at the end of the day, the battle is over souls. The battle is over souls of men, women, and children. So that's what we have. We got to think of the big picture. 
doesn't mean we cave. It doesn't mean we don't stand on what's right and wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't stand on righteousness. And it sure doesn't mean that we ever compromise the word of God. But what it does mean is we stand with the meekness and the gentleness of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some that we'll be bold against. And there's other ones that we'll be meek against. Amen? Let's bow your heads. Father, we thank you. Time, opportunity to be together this evening. We ask of you, Lord, that if you will, give us guidance, grace, and mercy. Forgive us where we have failed you, Lord. and Just lead us into the way, Lord, being honor, glory, and praise to your name. I thank you, Father, for what you've done. Thank you for giving us the evening tonight. We pray, uh, Lord, as we go into our brief announcements, our offering this evening as well, as our prayer time, Lord, that you remain in our midst and we give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. All right, so.